0: you see business owners have this moment they sell the business they get a great price and then they realize they're giving 52 percent of it in california to the government and i always say what if i could have shown you how to avoid all but maybe 15 or 20 percent of that tax
1: welcome to business owners radio Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, Taking Care of Business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad.
2: Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 96. In today's show, we'll be talking with Steve Sherline of U.S. Bank Private Wealth Management, About the importance of knowing your number when you're receiving an offer for your business. Steve leads an experienced client focused team at US Bank Private Wealth Management in the Los Angeles market, helping business owners get the most value from their businesses in one of the largest and fastest growing regions in the United States. Steve is going to tell us what steps we need to take and the pitfalls to avoid when valuing your business. Good morning, Steve. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Shy. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're really excited to have you today. And this is just a great topic that I know a lot of business owners are really interested in. You know, always this thing around how do you handle offers for a business and how do you think about the valuation of your business? And I'm kind of curious, what got you into this in the first place?
0: Well, I started in the late 80s as a financial advisor when it wasn't a normal process to consider some of the things that we regularly consider today. And what I landed on was the privately held small business owner was really the niche that I wanted to focus on early on from the 80s forward, have focused on helping business owners to determine a good plan for their business and how to sell the business in efficient ways. And that has really been the core of my business for my entire career.
2: And what caused you to want to focus on the small business?
0: Well, I grew up in a small business owner family myself. So I felt like I had unique insights into both the emotional state and kind of the rigors and pains that small business owners go through. And I felt it helped me connect to those small business owners in a way that many of my peers
2: could not. Yeah, Steve, I can see where that perspective could really help you in this line of work and why that's personal for you. So how does this usually show up for the business owner? They're working every day. They're running the business. They're trying to grow in a challenging marketplace. And then something happens and maybe somebody approaches them to buy their business or wants to have a discussion with them. How do you see this showing up?
0: Well, I think the first thing that we want to address is why does that happen? Why do you get an unsolicited offer? And if you think about it from the opposite side of the fence, the business owner is getting an offer because someone sees hidden value in the business. And the business owner who's receiving the offer doesn't always interpret that that's the case. And it's usually coming from a top competitor or from a larger corporation that has other business in the area that sees scale that it can build into that business, which inherently means that there's probably a gap between the business owner's perception of the value and its actual value. And if they haven't done the homework, Very frequently, they will miss a lot of that gap.
3: And speaking of that value, I know that most owners really don't have a solid understanding of what the value of their business might be. What are some of the steps to achieve some of that knowledge, at least?
0: Well, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, business owners are so committed to running their businesses and they are professionals in whatever that business does but they rarely slow down long enough to regularly assess the actual value of the business. So when an unsolicited offer comes, they're very unprepared. So again, what the first and most important thing that a business owner should consider doing is to determine a professional valuation, even paying to have a professional valuation on their business done, depending on the business, on a three to five year basis. A common problem I see is that a business owner will have value the business maybe early in its life cycle. And sometimes that's for estate planning purposes or some other purpose. And they kind of retain that as the number in their mind, even though the business has grown considerably and they've failed to consider what the current value is. Some of the other issues that I see is they very rarely segregate the value of the business. They view it as one pot. But many businesses, let's use an example of an engineering or manufacturing business, they might actually have intellectual property value that they can actually separate from the the EBITDA, EBITDA valuation, where if they hadn't really stopped to consider that with an aligned professional, they might not have recognized that value.
3: And some of these professionals that do valuations, where would the average business owners look for them?
0: For a small business owner, the best way for them to identify good people in the business, they tend to be aligned with a accounting franchise or they have legal people in their circle. They can help you to connect to a valuation expert. And in every community, you're going to find a series of valuation firms that can help you to get a professional valuation done. However, I would also say that many businesses can find people like me who work in large commercial organizations, who can help them to create a framework for doing a kind of a back in the napkin valuation and give them advice on whether they should seek a formal valuation.
3: that leads to their ability to know what their value is for this business. And when they do get an offer, they can determine whether they're even interested in continuing the conversation. How does that flow once there's a potential there?
0: First of all, I agree with you, and I think that one of the most important things that a business owner should have in the can is a number. So they've done an informal valuation, and their answer to an unsolicited offer should be, we're really not considering selling this company, but if you want us to consider going through that due diligence process, we'll need a minimum offer of X in order to move forward. If you're not prepared to give us that letter of indication of interest, then we're just not going to entertain further discussions. Because one of the things that business owners don't realize is that seriously considering an offer is a time-consuming process that will take away from the business. You'll have to use up resources and energy in ways that you typically don't in the operating of the business. But in terms of the steps... It is critically important to align your professionals, your CPA, who you typically work with, an attorney, if you're using one on a regular basis, and engaging them in this process of consideration. I think it is extremely helpful to engage someone like us as well, because one of the things that business owners fail to consider during the potential sale of a company are the estate planning impacts of selling that biggest asset in most business owners' lives. There are significant tax implications that go along with getting a great price for the business that ought to be considered right alongside the valuation of the business and the potential sale of it.
3: I can see some parallels here to even something like secession planning, where an event may happen, causing some unrest and instability and lack of guidance and not sure where the business is going to go after that. There seems to be a lot of similarities. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, let me use my current employer as a good example. So I work for a large commercial bank at U.S. Bank. And one of the things that we try to help pre-plan with all of our commercial clients is there are only three things that can happen. Well, actually, typically four. You can close the business. That's the fourth one. But the three things in a sale, you're either going to sell the business to heirs. Someone in the family is going to take over. You're going to sell it to the employees themselves, or you're going to sell it to a third party. And you should have a plan in place that addresses the monetization of the business that is different in each of those three buckets. And a business owner may determine that one of those or two of those don't fit, period. But if those are three viable options, you should have a plan for each.
2: And Steve, what are you seeing in the marketplace now? What do the trends look like and what kind of traps are out there?
0: Well, first of all, demographic trends are moving in the favor of these kinds of sales. You've got a a big baby boober generation and all these business owners, you know, 17 million businesses that are in this place where they're transitioning either through sale or through transition to family members. And it is creating a ton of activity. And therefore, the business owner receiving unsolicited offers from private equity firms, from good competitors, from third parties who are interested in entering that business are ramping up. And we are certainly seeing more activity than I can remember in my career. But some of the problems that are occurring is people are jumping at that first offer. And to me, that is the biggest mistake. They see a large number, they haven't done an effective valuation, they haven't segregated the value of the pieces of the business, and they're taking an offer quickly. And two bad things happen when you take that quick offer. One, you're probably accepting an offer that's well below the actual value of the business, particularly if you were to take it into an auction process and had bids from other unsolicited buyers come into the play. And secondly, the tax picture. One of the things that business owners don't stop to anticipate, typically these businesses have very low basis. And if they sell the business, they're going to have a very large percentage of those proceeds subject to tax. And they don't have a tax plan in place to address it.
2: Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, you talk about all these things that we have to consider, right? (laughs) And so often that ends up being an afterthought. But I imagine, you know, again, working with a professional, they're going to bring that to the table. You mentioned something earlier, Steve, that really stuck with me, and that is that this is a time-consuming process, right? And it's going to take you away from what you're really good at, which is running your business and trying to maximize the revenue, which is going to affect your selling price. So when you get into this, this is really a place where you want to get the best help you can to make sure that you're covering all these different bases, And I'm curious, like, you know, you also mentioned this idea of a blind auction process and ways of soliciting other bids. Can you tell us about a time where you've worked with someone that maybe had an offer and got involved to help them evaluate it? Absolutely. And
0: uh, you know, before I give you a, a good example, in every community, there are quite a few private equity firms that will help you to package the business. And they have contacts in each of those industries. And obviously, you want to align the private equity firm that you choose with the business that you're in. Make sure they have expertise and contacts in those. And that's where aligned professionals can really help guide. But they can open up the number of bidders dramatically. And because it's a blind process, you're going to have competitors who are fighting each other for the best bid. That in and of itself is frequently a way to raise the valuation of the company because different buyers will see different value. To give you a great example, we recently had a client in Los Angeles owned and operated a very successful food distribution company. The company had about $34 million in annual sales, and they were approached with an unsolicited offer from a current competitor in the marketplace for a price that would net the owners about $21 million after the payoff of debt. And because the two owners were advanced in age, they felt like the offer was pretty fair, that they would come out of it in good shape, but they really didn't have an effective way of valuing the offer because, as we described earlier, they're just so busy running the company that they really hadn't slowed down enough to really consider it. The good news was they had a great relationship with their commercial banker here at the bank who immediately recognized that they should bring us in. When we evaluated the company, we did determine that we thought that they were asking far too little for the company. and that In this case, they did have some of that intellectual property. They do have a, a unique process. And we compared it to other companies that we bank in that market, and the multiples that they were getting seemed to be below the valuations we had seen in the industry. So we helped connect them to a niche investment banking firm here in Los Angeles who took their company to a blind auction process allowed the unsolicited buyer who had made the original offer to compete for the company as well, they did not end up winning it. Actually, what happened was a Fortune 500 company in that business came in with a very significant offer, and that resulted in a $34 million net payout, or 22% better than the offer they'd originally been inclined to take. So we call that the success of our consulting process.
2: Yeah, that's brilliant. And I mean, to even think about all the cash they would have left on the table, that would have been a disaster. Absolutely. And you wouldn't even realize this, right, if you don't take the time to get an outside view in this area that's really outside of most people's expertise.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to layer in that some of these investment banking firms that you might engage will help to do a lot of this valuation, oftentimes for no charge, for the right to earn the business. So, again, some will charge, some will not. I think your more established players will want you to engage in a contract, but many of the kind of regional smaller players will engage you for the right to become your bank.
2: What kind of incentives does that usually take? So, you know, Steve, I would think as the business owner, you want these people aligned with getting the most value they can for your business, right? But you don't want them to be greedy. So how do those contracts typically work?
0: Well, typically you're going to give a range of prices that you would be willing to take after they do the initial valuation. Sometimes the contracts are always contingent upon receiving a certain price, So if you say, I want to get $30 million for the company, but they're unable to find a buyer that will bid $30 million, then the contract becomes null and void. But typically, the valuations come in very clean, and sometimes you live to fight another day. But I would say 75% of the time when there's an active engagement, there is going to be a legitimate buyer found, and typically it does result in a sale.
2: And do you have any tips for owners if they find themselves talking with one of these firms what to look for in a successful type of engagement?
0: It would be looking for what value they're going to add, what services they're going to provide. Make sure that you have a aligned professional, either somebody like our firm or your CPA or attorney to help you to review the process and determine whether that is fair for that size of company. And again, the size of the company and the nature of the business depending on its complexity will determine how much bank you really need and you know a niche investment bank may want to provide a dozen services that really are unnecessary for a fairly straightforward business so it's looking for those clues to make sure that the terms that are being offered to you align with the business that you're in
3: Stephen, looking at the actual potential sale coming up and even thinking through wanting to sell a business, what steps should be taken regarding taxes beforehand?
0: Well, first of all, let's talk about you know trying to segregate the value of the business. And then I'll get to the tax piece. So I think that, as I said earlier, a regular valuation every three to five years is really an important thing. Businesses tend to have ups and downs, but they do tend to, over time, become more and more substantial. And if that's true, one of the biggest misses we see is that people will undervalue the business because they have a valuation in their mind at a time when the company was much smaller. The second thing is to build those three steps, the monetization plan. One of the first questions I ask a business owner whenever I meet them is, what's your monetization plan? Are you going to sell the heirs to employees or to a strategic third party? And the answers to those questions, that may be that you have three separate plans in the can relative to that monetization then I want the business owner to consider how are they going to receive those proceeds? What is your tax strategy? Are you going to create a master holding company and segregate the company into shares and gift those across generational lines over time and you know, take the ownership shares to the next generation and keep the control shares? That way you can push taxation into the future. You can also execute things like installment sales of the business, which will defer tax into the future. I I love to ask the question, what if I could show you a way to defer the capital gain you might pay on the company for up to 20 years? There are a number of estate planning strategies that can be employed there. And then a frequent profile we see on business owners, they tend to be very ingrained in their communities and they tend to be very charitably inclined. And the mistake I see them make is that they will sell the business pay the tax and then make charitable contributions. And what I would say is, well, why wouldn't you sell the shares of the company into a charitable trust, take income on it for the rest of your life and pay no tax on the sale of those shares? And that's something that probably the most frequent miss that I see in this community.
2: Well, Steve, thank you for your time today. It's been great having you as our guest. Hey, thanks. Craig, Shy. thank you for
0: what you do. You guys are such a valuable resource to business owners, and I want you to keep doing what you're doing. Again, I want to stress to you that if our company can be of service, we have regional offices in 20 separate locations across the United States from New York to Los Angeles. So if you can put that up on your page, I would appreciate it. Of course, the links to the article that we talked about today. And again, we've produced a lot of material along these lines that is available on our site. So thanks again for all you guys do.
2: Our guest today has been Steve Sherline of U.S. Bank Private Wealth Management. You can learn more about Steve and get links to more insightful articles and white papers, including the great one on What is My Company Worth, in our show notes at BusinessOwnersRadio.com.
3: This episode has been sponsored by Aligned for Business. That's Aligned, the number four, Business.com.
1: Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show. And of course, we would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.